All right, so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because remember, Jesus asked the question uh, way back here. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. And it's you cannot come yet, right? But we'll get to that. So Peter asked or said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going. He says it again. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. So remember, we've been talking about this, but it's going to pertain all the way from chapter 14, all the way through chapter 18. Well, look, we were talking authority and power. We talked about that in church on Sunday. Oh, I think we need more furniture polish on this. Apparently that's how you refresh them. I'm... All right, good. Um, we were talking about a term. I'm just going to write it up here. And because we talked about it on our Wednesday evening online Bible class, too. Anogs. Anybody know how to spell inaugurated? U-A-R-U. Say it again. Sorry, sorry. I N A U A U. A U. 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 Uh, well, this, that's not right. Well, we'll just say it's that. Uh, this word I know how to spell. Yes. Eschatology. <laughs> Inaugurated. That's not right. That's definitely not right. We'll put a U there. That's not right either. Well, it's probably AU. AU? And no AU before. You don't think there's a U there? Maybe it's two AUs. <laughs> Inaugurated eschatology. Um, this is another way of just saying eschatology is language or words about the end times. Inaugurated means that it's they're they're starting now, so they're now, but they're also not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Plus, not yet. At the same time. So it's been brought into existence, and yet it hasn't actually been fully realized by us, right? So it's just like saying, we talked about it in terms of the Lord's Supper. When you go to the Supper, you go to the Heavenly Feast. By faith, but not by sight. And then on the last day, you'll see it by sight too. So you'll experience it, the fullness of your senses in the resurrection. Now you experience it by faith um, through the Word of God. So it's the same thing, but your experience of it, I suppose, is a little bit different. Right? Uh, though the gifts that you receive are the same, forgiven in Jesus' name. All right. So that's happening here. He says, where I'm going now, you cannot follow, but you will, future tense, follow afterward. Right? So uh, we talked about last week, we started to talk about this. Jesus is, uh, what do we call him? The trailblazer? Mm-hmm. Right? He's the, uh, he's the founder and perfecter. We talked about from Hebrews on Wednesday night. Same idea, right? That he sets the path, right? And then all you have to do is follow him in, right? Which is really handy. It's like, uh, what we have actually a negative term for this too. Riding on someone's coattails. <laughs> That's a negative, right? They're like, you're supposed to make your own way. When it comes to Jesus, no, don't make your own way. There is no other way, which we'll talk about in a moment. All right. So Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I love Peter. He's the best. Um, yeah, we'll talk about what I wrote. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Uh, no. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. 
So as he's three days in the, in, the, in the grave, Peter will deny him three times. Of course, Jesus is three days in the grave, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, by our reckoning, are actually, well, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, by their reckoning, those three days are what forgives Peter for his three denials. Yeah, okay. So you see patterns that way sometimes. Here's what I wrote about it. Let's see if this gives us, this will help me remember what I was going to talk about last week. There's the two paragraphs on page two of two at the bottom. The conversation of Peter's denial occurs in, the, in Luke, the same, the same conversation, in the context of the Lord's Supper. And in Mark, it's on the way to the Mount of Olives, you know, before he's uh, praised and then is betrayed, right? So there, this conversation is, falls in the same context in both Mark and Luke, um, similar context anyway. Peter cannot imagine that where Jesus is going, he cannot and will not want to follow Peter, uh, will not want to follow, period. Peter will only understand later, only understand later, right? Of course, at his denial, when Jesus looks at him, I'm like, oh, that's what you meant. Yes, that's what I meant. And then Peter weeps, right? This dialogue parallels the foot washing back in chapter 13, where Peter was also not satisfied. All right, so we're getting Peter set up here. Oh, I'm sorry for scrolling so fast. 13 verse 7, right? There it is. Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand. Here it is again. Now, but you will understand afterward. Got it? See how that goes? So it's really the same idea. Um, where I'm going, you cannot go. Here is what I'm doing, you cannot do. Right? This is really helpful for us um, because that's what, like in the context of the sermon, this is always the question. I just can't forgive them. And the answer is always, my answer is always, you're right. They're like, what? I'm like, no, or I can't forgive myself. I'm like, no, you can't forgive yourself. It's absolutely right. Like, if you want to try to deal with your sin on your own, good luck. Right? You'll end up looking like Judas. He dealt with his sin on his own, and how well did that go? Yeah, rather than seeking forgiveness where it's found from Jesus, he goes back to the priest and tries to return the money. And that doesn't go so well for him. We talked about that. All right. Okay. I'm not going to scroll all the way back. Hold on. Let me just type it in because then we'll, I won't give you a anxiety or some, whatever it is that causes, the scrolling causes seizures or something, right? All right. Uh, Peter is prepared to lay down his life and match Jesus's willingness. Oh, he did the same thing back in 10. Okay, we'll jump there too. We're going to do a lot more review here the next, for a while because we had the, what, seven months off. So we can't even remember what we read. And you probably couldn't have remembered even if we had just kind of gone on. Right? Yeah. All right. So here, this is um, John 10, beginning in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that here, um, where was that? I lay down my life. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must lay them down also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Right? I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In other words, there is no collaboration or cooperation with Jesus in the work that he's about to do. That's where Peter is really wrongheaded. Right? You don't help Jesus do his job. Jesus does his job, right? and you get to receive it. This is very important. 
This applies to all sorts of things, which we'll talk about. All right. Yeah, Greg? The sheets, the sheets, the sheets. We have to figure out a better sheet distribution method. All right. Um, then there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of the one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? All right. But you see this idea that um, Jesus is quite willing to lay down his life. Peter is deceived in thinking he can do it. Can he? No. All right. Let's see if I can get back to it here quick. Like, Ooh, look at that. It did it. Uh, Jesus' rebuke is extraordinarily sharp or extraordinarily, if you like. Right? Peter is pretty harsh with, or Jesus is pretty harsh with Peter. I think rightfully so. Uh, he does not over, he does not only rebuke Peter's overconfidence or the disgraceful outcome of which Jesus foresees. That's his denial. Right? Rather, Jesus reveals Peter's opposition to Jesus's departure in his being lifted up on the earth. All right? But especially holding back Jesus from going the way the Father has ordered him. Remember, get behind me, Satan. You are a rock of offense, or you are an offense to me. That's what Peter, how Peter rebuked him earlier. Uh, holding back Jesus from going the way the Father has ordered him, drinking the cup the Father has given him to drink, from confronting the power of darkness. This is a really important point that Paul picks up on, is that by Peter's attempt at cooperating with Jesus actually destroys Jesus' own work. It, anytime you do, you do something like this, it's Jesus plus me, Guess who gets canceled out? It's not really about Jesus at all, right? If only you believe. And you say, well, that, how can I believe? And the answer is, only if Jesus gives you faith. You cannot believe, right? Same thing, you cannot forgive. Only if Jesus forgives you, right? There is no power in you to forgive. There's no power in you to, to believe. There's no, I mean, that's the third article of the creed, Right? And as soon as you try to insert yourself into that as being either cooperating or collaborating with Jesus, you know, this is why I'm actually kind of opposed. No, I'm not kind of opposed. I'm completely opposed to the language of, you know, being, have you heard this? Being Jesus's hands and feet. All right. I, I understand what we're talking about. You're, you're being grafted onto Jesus' body and thus you're a body part of Jesus. So you get to do the Jesus stuff for Jesus. We're going to talk about that, right? But it's not you who, do, who does any of it. You're not Jesus' hands. It's not you at all. It's Jesus alone who does the work. And so the best thing for you, like we talked about yesterday morning in our congregation of prayer online, is if you draw any attention to your own work, you're looking not at Jesus, you're looking at yourself. Should I say that again? If you're looking at yourself, what you've done, what you've accomplished, you're looking away from Jesus and what he has done, Right? So think about like our 165th anniversary, right? Did we celebrate all the work that we did? No, right? We gave thanks to God for all the work that he's done. Yes, it's true you gave money and you worked and maybe your ancestor, however many generations back, have done all sorts of things for us, right? And we can give thanks to God for them and what they did. But I'm doubtful that they went around, you know, boasting and all the work that they did, you know, for generations. Look at what we accomplished. As a matter of fact, most of the time, what we complain about is what we're not getting done. (laughs) Which is the exact right thing to do, right? Every board meeting, every council meeting, oh, and the pastor looks at his report and like, oh, I didn't get to that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the right, that's the right posture. And then ask God um, to accomplish in us and through us what he would accomplish. But like, if you say we are, 
Now you've become the subject in the sentence, right? We have accomplished this. Even if you um, implicitly are suggesting that God is doing it through you, just, just get, put God in the subject position of, of everything, right? I always say, it's not I who did these things, but God who is in me who does these things. To quote, or to paraphrase somebody else, Paul. All right, so that's Peter's problem, is Peter keeps wanting, wanting to put himself in the collaborative, cooperative role. And then what ends up happening is Jesus isn't just his co-pilot. <laughs> to quote a bumper sticker or something? Anybody know that what I'm talking about? Yeah. All right. Or to quote uh, an industrial band from the 90s, which nobody will know in the room, Jesus built my hot rod. No. Um, <laughs> Google it. Apple Music. It's quite the song. Um, ministry, ironically, is what it's called. Al Jorgensen is the... Anyway, you don't... He's got, like, tattoos and hair and piercings and, yeah. I don't know. It's just some reason it popped into my head. But what Peter's doing is not just putting Jesus in the co-pilot seat. He's putting Jesus not even in the back seat. He's, like, putting him in the, in the U-Haul behind him. He's like, I'm going to do this, Jesus, for you. He's like, mm, no, that's not how this works. You get to come along for the ride. All right? Which is, that's actually preferred, right? Who wants to drive? <laughs> Figuratively speaking. All right. Last paragraph there. Peter's attempt to divert Jesus from the path or to protect himself from it, protect Jesus from it, uh, which will come up later, adds to the bitterness of his suffering. That is the bitterness that Peter will experience. His betrayal isn't for lack of courage. Right? He's obviously quite courageous. He wants to do it with Jesus. Um, but he is unwilling and powerless to be a disciple of the Lord by the way of the cross. When he finally comes face to face with what it means uh, to go the way that Jesus is going, he will deny him and refuse to go that way. Right? And that makes it all the more bitter since he said he would. And then when, Jesus, when he's given the opportunity to confess Christ and to die with him like the thieves, he doesn't. Right? So it's even the more bitter. You will deny me three times does not undo. You will follow me afterward. Right? That's very important. Right? Jesus isn't denying Peter's going to follow after him. He just can't go the way that Jesus is going now. So even Peter's betrayal doesn't actually, or denial doesn't actually uh, limit his, the forgiveness of Jesus, of course. But it does stress afterward. While he goes, while he alone goes ahead and we cannot follow in that way, but afterward we follow. Only after Jesus, by the power of his self-sacrifice, has overcome the world, will his disciples be turned to follow the way of the Lord. He makes the way passable, the road he first traveled alone. And then I say, see John 12, 26. So I think we covered that a few weeks ago. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Notice it's future tense. There will be my servant. If anyone serves me now, the father will in the future honor him. All right. So there's your, some context. All right. But that's all future tense. By the way, that word for serve is um, deacon. If anyone deacons me, diakona. Right? And we already talked about love. The love that God demands, the love that Jesus demands is love for neighbor. So we don't need to rehash that. All right, any questions so, any, about Peter here? Peter's going to take a back seat now. Although he'll come back after we leave the upper room. And uh, it's all going to be Jesus for a while. Yeah, Ron. I was just going to make a comment before you get into these chapters. 
Yeah. The next four chapters, 14, 15, 16, 17, have about 120 some verses. Yeah. Late seven or eight are not Jesus' words. I know. That's why I said, every, really, everybody takes a back seat except for Philip into this just a few words. Right. Yeah, no, this is exactly right. So this is beginning of what some people call the farewell discourse. That's actually what I called it um, here on the sheet. Some say it's just the final discourse. I think the problem with farewell for me is it's like Jesus is not leaving. I mean, he is leaving in a way but he's not leaving them alone because he's going to make at least five times the, a promise that the, the paraclete will come, right? Um, who is the spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son. So it's Jesus himself who's present with them and the Father. But anyway, uh, there, I have a little opening paragraph here to introduce what we're going to look at, and then we'll read it. Jesus, this is the new sheet, by the way. 14, you see it? Okay. Jesus is the way to the Father for those who believe in him. The introduction, which we just finished, announced the theme of Jesus' departure. The farewell discourse, beginning with verse 1 here, chapter 14, is concerned with the problems of what will happen to the disciples he leaves behind. Right? Unlike that of the synoptic gospels, it's not apocalyptic, we'll talk about that in a second, but concerned with the continuing fellowship of Jesus with his disciples on earth. That fellowship comes through the gift of the paraclete who helps them as they continue in the conflict with the world. All right, so what I'm saying there is uh, John's gospel, this whole conversation is unique. And it, it doesn't present an apocalyptic vision. You know what apocalyptic is. You know? That's like um, my favorite movies, the post-apocalyptic movies where the whole world's been destroyed and all that's left is a few handhold and some zombies or something. You know? And... Or maybe, actually, it's just a few humans, and even they are eating each other, which is, that's a, I don't know if you know which, it's called The Road. Anybody read, read The Road? I think I have a copy of it. Let's talk about a devastating book. It's Cormac McCarthy. Anybody read Cormac McCarthy before? You have? Yeah. He's a hard read, because he's dark. He's from Texas. Um, he did uh, No Country for Old Men is another one, All the Pretty Horses. I'm trying to think what they are. But the road is just like, it's just a father and a son on this journey and, and everything's falling apart around them. Um, why do we talk? Oh, that's apocalyptic, right? Everything's doom and destruction. There's lightning and fire and chaos and wars and rumors of wars and all that stuff. That's how the synoptics end their gospel leading into the Holy Week, right? The destruction of Jerusalem, which we hear about every summer. We heard it probably, what, seven weeks ago? I think, I think it's the 12th Sunday after Trinity now, if I remember right. So just seven weeks ago. Whereas in John's gospel, he's dealing with something quite different, which is, um, yes, there's going to be all that stuff happening in the world, but he's, he wants to provide uh, really some encouragement to the disciples of how to live in the midst of a chaotic and, and um, often evil world, which, of course, then uh, is very applicable to us. <laughs> You know, I was thinking about forgiving our rulers today. And I'm like, if they keep throwing mud at each other as, as bad as it's been the last, like, even just week, I don't know if, it's not in all the mainstream press, but you can just go to, go to New York Post or Fox News and you'll, you'll catch Mr. Biden and all of uh, the allegations being brought against he and his family, uh, which is pretty incredible. I mean, there's going to be a lot to forgive, is the point. Um, there will be justice, which is what the government's job is, right? It's not our job, it's the government's job. 
Um, we can certainly ask the government to bring justice to those, whether those who bring false allegations or, whether, or if the allegations are true, either way. Um, but it's not our jobs, you know, to, we're not the executioners, put it that way. God is the one who does that through the government, so. Uh, yeah, there's gonna be a lot to forgive, right? So this does seem kind of apocalyptic right now. It's like all or nothing, right? In a way that, I don't know, some of you have been around a lot longer than me. I, I've been through, a, you know, how many presidential elections? 96, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016. Okay, so this is my seventh presidential election that I voted in, that I'll vote in. Well, I didn't vote in all of them, actually. But, you know, that I've had opportunity to vote in. I don't remember them being like this. I mean, 2016 was pretty rough towards the end. I don't know if you remember. There was the whole Stormy Daniels tape thing, Access Hollywood. That was against Trump, and then Trump had all this stuff against Hillary, which, um, you know, it was just, not, I don't know how much of that actually ended up sticking on either of them, but Hillary lost, obviously, so maybe. This just seems different to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because the corruption, if, if, if it's even like 10% true, goes so deep and so far, you know, into every agency of the government. I mean, think about what we've gone through, like the impeachment stuff. And we, now we know that was all fake. I'm like, what, they made it up? Yeah, they made it up. I don't know if they're... And then, and then we look and you say, there's no justice because who's going to get indicted? Nobody's going to get indicted. All right, let's not talk politics. <laughs> Nobody, they'll all get, just get away with it. They'll just... Yeah. Well, the media doesn't help. No, I know that. I don't want to talk bad about the media, except they're terrible. <laughs> so... I don't... I don't uh, I, you can't even read foreign media because here's the thing. It used to be you could do that. You go read like the BBC or something. BBC is okay. But uh, you think, well, like I'll go read Sky News. Well, Sky News in, Austra in Australia is owned by Rupert Murdoch, the same guy who owns Fox News. So you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's not really independent. They're kind of owned by this, this News Corp. It's the same corporation. So you're like, okay, well, if you want a different opinion, go to NPR, right? Because they're publicly funded. And they're like, you listen to it. And you're like, this is not unbiased. And this, this is paid for with tax dollars. So, yeah, um, I only... I, actually, I don't even, I don't even know who to listen to. I, I can't even tell you where to go for, for news. And it, oh, here's the, you want to add another level of complexity to it? Ready for this? Uh, this is really tangential, sorry. I'll just get it out of my head, then I won't have to talk about it. The, uh, you know about deep fakes? Anybody know about deep fakes? Yes. Yeah. yeah, you know about deep fakes. This is where uh, they can't like artificially create you, but they can actually take you and put you on top of somebody else. So if they have a video that has one person in there, as long as their body is relatively similar, they can actually, with like a home computer, it's, it's free software, you can just download it, you could, you could do this. There's actually an app, what is it called, Reface? You know about this one? All right, Reface, where it's like scenes from movies and you can put your face in, on, on characters oh, in the movie. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's like doing it in your phone. Imagine if you actually had a, well, a phone's actually pretty powerful, but. Um, so we're, this cycle is probably the last cycle we're going to see where you, where you have to actually, where you can maybe trust the evidence. The next cycle, you're going to have fake audio, video, and photography. And you won't know if any of it's true. Because that's already, they can already do it today. They probably are doing it today. But within four years, you don't even have, you won't even have movie actors acting. All they do is need to take, you know, just a, a number of captures of their face and their body, and they can just artificially create the whole thing. Yeah, including, including their, even including their mouth and their words and everything. Indistinguishable. They can already do that with photography. Absolutely indistinguishable. You can't even tell it's a fake. Video, 
you sometimes catch it with their ears and things that don't quite match up. Yeah. I'm going to read a revelation about the Antichrist dying and then coming back to life. Right. I often think of that. That's how it's going to be done. Oh, yeah. The computers take over, basically. The AI is already telling you what, what you should read and see and, le and learn when you go on the internet. If you go on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. It, the computer brain in the sky is deciding what it thinks you should see. And it's based off of the things you want to see. And it just gives you more of the things you want to see. And it just puts you into this echo chamber where you just keep seeing. And you're never challenged for your belief. So I think you're right. That's, this is the reason I bring it up, because it is apocalyptic. We're talking about between this fake tech, faking media, and you're, and you're also talking about changing people's DNA, which they got the Nobel Prize for it, the scientists that figured out how to do this, where they can rewrite your DNA. They just got the Nobel Prize for it. Because right? it has incredible potential for innovation to like rewrite genes and so you don't have a genetic disease. They can inject the, the nanobots into you and then they go through and we've got a genetic disease, some of our people, right? In our family, and they just go through and rewrite all the broken genes. Sounds great, right? Maybe. <laughs> of course, some people will go through and say, I want brown hair and I, no, I want blonde hair now. Instead of dying it, they just rewrite the, the hair gene. Yeah, you think genetically modified crops, not, not breeding, but like going in and rewriting crops DNA, you know, we know that that has some consequence, whatever it is, we actually won't know for probably 50 or 100 years, right? Maybe it'll only be positive. I'm not an optimist about this. I think it's more apocalyptic for me. Like, don't mess with the stuff that God gives you, right? Take it for what it is. You hear, um, do you watch the town hall with Mr. Biden? Anybody watch that one? I watch Trump and Biden, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's the question. Turns out she was a Democratic operative, but it doesn't matter. She stood up, she talked about her two daughters, 10 and eight. Did anybody watch this? Yeah. And she's like, my 10-year-old daughter, and then I have an eight-year-old daughter, who turns out actually is a son who thinks he's a girl. And she asked, yeah, can, you know, is my daughter, eight-year-old son, daughter, this gets really confusing, you know, can he, can he turn into a girl? Can we do that? You know, or if he wants to, at eight at age eight, that you say, I don't want to be a girl anymore. I want to be a boy. And you permanently disfigure your body. Uh, and he's like, no, no discrimination. It's fine. Like, what? All right, that's apocalyptic. That's apocalyptic because you're destroying the character of humanity. I mean, we already murder uh, 2,300 people every day. You know? I mean, it's not in the U.S. So, I mean, we're already doing a fair amount of damage to our own humanity, but... Uh, that and then you have false media, right? So yeah, it seems different to me. It just seems worse than usual. But maybe you know, in what is it, sixteen days, fifteen days, sixteen days, I think. Yeah, in sixteen days, it'll all go away. Everybody will go back to normal, and there won't be riots, and you know, and and the COVID, the COVID will go to sleep, and, and we'll just go back to normal. I don't think we'll ever go back to normal. No, arguably we never did. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, Ron, you had your hand up, but we should probably dig into the text. Okay. <laughs> That's not what's happening in John's gospel. That does happen in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, it's... It does happen in Revelation. And it happens in Revelation, too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Or you can go back to Ezekiel or Daniel, and you get it there, too. All right. So we should read... Oh, this is actually a pretty helpful word for us to hear. Yeah. Let's read uh, 1 through 7 there. It's on the screen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right, very good. <clears throat> so we do, we do kind of make a shift from the whole Peter denial. And then, then Jesus just kind of slowly ramps up to being just full on. Um, he's preacher, full on preacher mode. Um, I was going to say ranting, but he's not ranting. But no, he's not going to let you talk. This is, oh, yeah, speaking of politics, this is like when you have a hostile moderator and they kind of want to keep entering in. This is more like Stephanopoulos with Biden. He's just like, Mr. Biden, tell us about this and then just let him talk for as long as he wants, right? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's really going to shut him down and he wants them to listen. But, but it starts with a word of comfort. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, Jesus is, has already talked about his heart being troubled previously. That was back in chapter 12, Verse 27, how did that go? I think that's right. Yeah, there you go. He says, uh, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And remember the voice from heaven and there was the thunder, which we actually sang about in our closing hymn, didn't we? With his voice being like thunder and it rolling like thunder. You hear that? But hear the father's voice. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, right? Which is hearkening back, of course, to Sinai and the mountain and the thunder and lightning when he spoke with Moses, right? But notice Jesus' soul is troubled, he says. His heart is troubled. But he says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled, right? Why? Because of faith, right? He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Um, so right, right at the center of their comfort is going to be faith, not in themselves, not in this world, but faith in Jesus' word. And the word that he's about to speak for the next, as Ron pointed out, next four chapters worth, right? Which is why I personally, well, I think, um, I think we've limited the, the application of this word. We hear it in our lectionary every year, uh, four Sundays after Easter. So after... The first Sunday after Easter is Quasimodo. That's the one with Thomas and his denial. Then for the Sundays following that, actually it's five Sundays. See, third Sunday, uh, maybe it's only four. Um, all the way through, even the Sunday before Pentecost are from this discourse. So we hear these words of comfort in the context of uh, Easter, the season of Easter. But it's just four Sundays and it's only little... And we never actually hear John 17 uh, as, as far as the lectionary goes, that high priestly prayer, as it's sometimes called. We hear a section of it. Oh, do we? Not the whole thing, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty long story. So Jesus gives this wonderful sermon that's a sermon of comfort, and then it, it has a pretty significant role in our lectionary. Like I said, we hear it every year for Easter. Um, but maybe it's something that we need to, to learn and use, maybe. I don't know. Turn it into prayers or something. Hey, Don, can you? You check your own. There's somebody else. There. Um, okay, yeah, believe in God, believe also in me. So faith is at the center here, and it's faith in what Je- the words that Jesus is going to speak. Now, 
Look at this, verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. Did we hear about the father's house today? The house of God? Did we hear about that today? Anybody remember? Well, in the intro, that was... Um, okay. Rather, you have your bulletin. Well, Anybody have a bulletin? Intro it. From, was it from Psalm 35 or the other Psalm? Psalm 86, I think. Oh, 78 and 35 and 48. Oh, no, 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 all right, and then you usually have the epistle, and then you have then you have the, uh, the verse, and the verse leads us into the gospel for the day. So very often the epistle kind of functions on its own, but these two go together: the Old Testament and the Psalm, the verse and the gospel. Have you, I don't know if I've ever said that. Maybe I haven't. Right. So you'll see often that the Psalm is responding to something in the Old Testament, in particular. It's obviously crying out to Jacob in prayer, right? Which was verse 8, the antiphon. But it also talked quite a bit about, about the, the temple courts or something like that. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Yeah. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house. I would yeah. rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Right? So here we have the house of God, it's my, but it's my father's house. Uh, father's house is used also in the Old Testament. Did I give you a reference to that? No, I didn't give you a reference. Um, but it is the house of God, which um, Jesus has given his, us his name, which is Father, right? And that that house, it's got plenty of space, many rooms. Uh, the whole thing with many mansions, and, and have you ever thought about what your heavenly mansion is going to look like? You know, you're going to be a real estate developer in heaven. Uh, that's not really what Jesus is getting after. He's like, there's one house, it's the Father's house, and guess what? There's a place for you, right? He's prepared it for you too, which is a great word of comfort, right? Because that's where Jesus is going, to the right hand of the Father. I go to prepare a place for you. But that's what's implied there by many rooms. Um, he actually talked about this back in chapter 8. So I'll jump there, 8, verse 35. Yeah, there it is. Remember this whole bit about sonship with Abraham, and then he says, you are of your father the devil? Yeah, that was pretty memorable, I hope. <laughs> the kind of thing you usually say to someone. Satan's son, yeah. Sounds like a horror movie or something. Right? So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said it. Yes, Martin Luther King Jr. quoted it, but okay. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? And then here we go. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That was the sermon today in part, right? The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father and you do not heard what you have heard from your father. All right? So you see, this theme has already been introduced previously about the house, right? And that Jesus is the son and as the true son of God, because 
lives by faith, or lives actually by his word, I should say, or he is the word, rather, uh, that he inherits the Father's house. Right? That's why it's so important that you be joined to Jesus, so that you, too, are a son. I know. You don't like the gender language, but it's okay. Because you want to inherit with Jesus. And only in the Bible, only the sons inherit. I know it's patriarchal and blah, 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 but okay, just deal with it. You get to be sons, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just a thing. Did we talk? I talked about this on Wednesday night. Yeah, in the Bible class. Okay. Uh, gender neutral language sometimes actually removes the meaning. So you have to be careful. Yeah, there, are, there are translations of the Bible that don't say sons for that. Yeah. Right. Same thing with mankind. And they say humans. Uh, that one's okay because it still has man in it. Oh, people. They'll put people in, in place of mankind. And then you kind of lose the point of the connection to Adam. Um, let's see. There's the road and the destination. We talked about that already. House is a term for the place where God resides frequently in the Old Testament. Usually the house of God refers to the temple, not heaven. All right. That's, you have to do a word study for this. I didn't give you all the verses, but usually it refers to the temple is the house of God. Right. But what happens with Jesus in his suffering and death to the temple? Yeah, the curtain is torn in two. The holy place is exposed because God does not dwell in temple made with hands. Right? But now in Jesus, he dwells actually in the flesh and blood of Jesus. And the temple of God is actually his suffering and death. It's Jesus upon the cross is the place of worship and the place of God's glory. Right? We've talked about that. And now he dwells in you because he's built you up as living stones into a new temple, right? the dwelling place of God, to quote Peter. Uh, so this whole idea of a house, I mean, is it... People call churches houses of God, right? You've heard that? You know, and then maybe some pastor comes along and says, that's not appropriate in the house of God. Right? And if it's not appropriate in church, it's probably not appropriate in any. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually true. Yeah, it might actually be true. If you're not comfortable doing it before the altar, then why are you comfortable doing it in your own home? Or, you know. Does God not see you unless you're here? Yeah, okay. Maybe that's right. <laughs> uh, let's see what else I say. What makes it his father's house is that it has many rooms. I already said that. Jesus returning to the theme introduced in 835. The place prepared, or the place is prepared. So there's lots of language of preparation. Uh, so let's look at some of these. Matthew 25, 34. I'll just jump around on the screen. The king will say to those at his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So it's, being, it's preparing. Jesus is preparing this. This is why Peter can't cooperate because it's Jesus' job, not his job. Um, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. Let's say baptism as many times as possible. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. Well, who is prepared to sit at Jesus' left and right hand? It's you. It's you. Actually, the disciples will have to sit in the back. Take the seat, you know, take the lowest seat. All right, 1 Corinthians. Eyes have not seen, nor the ear heard, nor... Uh, have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Which is a quote 
from, it's actually a combination of things from Isaiah 64 and Isaiah 65. I think when we studied 1 Corinthians, I don't remember, that's a long time ago, the Wednesday night class, I think we decided that, the, or I suggested this was a liturgical hymn. It wasn't, we don't know where it actually comes from. That he's quoting something that we don't actually have anymore. I think that's what he said. Okay, and then Hebrews 11, verse 16, right? All right, which we'll study eventually. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Uh, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has, there it is, prepared a city for them. Uh, Let's see, did I give a revelation? I didn't give a revelation text. Ron really likes revelation. Uh, So... Revelation 21.2, you want this one? I didn't put it on the sheet, but why not? I, I'm not going to jump there. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You've heard that one before. That might actually be the epistle for All Saints Day. I think that might be. Or maybe it's one of the ones towards the end of the church here. All right. Uh, and then First Peter 4, or 1, I should say, verse... Four, let's go back to three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. And there it is. Reserved in heaven for you. How's it translated up there? Kept in heaven for you. It's actually the same word, prepared. Uh, Who are kept by the power of God through faith, through salvation. All right. So, This is a theme that the others pick up quite a bit, that God is preparing this place for you, whether it's the city or it's the life. Here it's the house. It's prepared for you. That's what Jesus is doing in our text today. All right. Uh, And then Paul, actually, in 1 Thessalonians 4, which I usually read at funerals, uh, talks about it in terms of like, the heavens being shaken and the earth and then the trumpets blaring and all that apocalyptic language. Whereas Jesus here, it's, it's really, it's much more like he's talking to Leah and he's saying, Leah, I know what you're upset, but here's what's going to happen. He's not saying, boom, crash, bang, you know, everything's going to go to hell and then you get to come to heaven. Right? Very different kind of conversation. Making sense? Got it? All right. So I don't mind the apocalyptic stuff. I already told you I do, you know? The bomb goes off and then everybody has to try to figure out how to put their life back together. Those are fun stories, but um, that's not what Jesus is doing. So this is immediate and it's personal is what he's doing. And that'll especially come up later on in chapter 17. All right, questions so far about the place? There was more language about place, but really go back and read. You know, Jacob says, this is the house. This is truly... The house of God, isn't that what he says? From our reading from Genesis 28, wasn't it? And then the psalm, how lovely are your dwelling places. Now he dwells in us by faith. All right? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. What? (laughs) What do you mean, you know the way? Do they know the way? It doesn't seem like it, does it? Because Thomas, on behalf of the rest of the disciples, says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Have I been with you so long that you still haven't figured this out? 
you, you all have the benefit of knowing how this story goes, right? So when you hear all this stuff, you're like, yeah, these guys are idiots. But just put yourself in their shoes just for a moment and just say, um, no, this stuff is all very, imagine you knew nothing about, you know, the resurrection of the body. Well, you might know that, but you don't, this, all this heavenly stuff. You only had bits, snippets and bits from Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. And maybe you're like, maybe you're not like me and you love the stuff where there's fire and brimstone. You prefer the parts of the Bible that are more like a shepherd with sheep, okay? Um, and maybe that's Thomas. <laughs> All right. Lord, where, where are you going? We don't know the way. And then really, what is the center? Thomas has already been on display before. We know Thomas has a, has a little, a bit of a doubting kind of character, as he's sometimes called. Not fair to Thomas, really. I mean, he wasn't there. He didn't get to see Jesus. He's like, I got to touch him. I got to take... Actually, that's the best confession. It's like, because you know how many people today say that, oh, it was just like a spirit apparition? If Jesus actually appeared alive, it was just kind of a ghost? That's like, that would be the easiest objection to the resurrection of Jesus. You know, well, after, after they had no body, but then they're like, well, then how did he appear? Well, he was just a ghost. It's like, well, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, right? So there's Thomas, and Thomas is doing the exact same thing that we need, exact thing that we need. It's like, touch me. He doesn't, actually, in the story. Jesus just says, do it. And that's enough for Thomas to say, okay, yeah, no, this is real flesh and blood Jesus. Anyway, Thomas is going to come back. But then the center, maybe, maybe the, a central verse. I don't know. John 3.16 is kind of central, right? For God so loved the world, etc. Right. I did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. But this one's pretty central too, isn't it? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? And why is that so central? Because that's what he's going to talk about for the next four chapters. This is relationship to the Father and why that's essential for you to believe. Right? Because you can't, you can't know God as your Father unless you know his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. And you cannot, there's no, it's not like uh, Naomichi Masaki, my uh, professor, seminary, Japanese, obviously, if you didn't catch that. Uh, he's like, uh, you know, going to heaven is not like climbing Mount Fuji. I'm kind of, that's, he has a much better accent than that. But. <laughs> you know, it's, and then people say, oh, if you just make the trek to Mecca, one of these uh, uh, independent journalists that I follow, by the way, there are such things that still don't, ascribe to one political philosophy or another or whatever, they just try to report. One of them that I did, he's like, he just threw out something yesterday. He's like, I'm not going to listen to anybody anymore unless they go on an ayahuasca trip with me. You know what ayahuasca is? Anybody know what ayahuasca is? You're not into, like, hallucinogens? Why not? <laughs> this, is, this, is the, this is the emerging... This is, no, it's not the 70s anymore because the U.S. government shut down all the research in the 60s. Yeah, anyway. Um, no, actually, they found that, uh, uh, in particular, uh, microdosing LSD can help with, with addiction because it puts you in a different frame of mind where you, not, not with a heavy dose where you're like in some other universe, but rather where you, um, they can do this with like other things too, not just microdosing LSD. Oh, like uh, uh, sensory deprivation tanks where you're just floating in the water, no, no light or sound, is that you can, you can like mentally just get outside your body and look at your life objectively in a way that you can't do when you're in the middle of it. 
and ayahuasca is another way they do this, which is this, it's this stuff that, basically it's a toxin from frogs, I, I think, in the South, South America, somebody Google it. Um, and it like gives you cold sweats and diarrhea and all this stuff, but you also get a high. And then you come to recognize and understand yourself in a very different way. So this guy said, I went on an ayahuasca trip. This is a journalist. Okay. And I learned that, that all the traditions from Buddha to Christian to Muhammad, they, they all are just different manifestations of, of the way that God has revealed himself in different cultures. I'm like, nice idea that we're all one big happy family and God just reveals himself differently to different people. But Jesus actually contradicts it. He said, no, Buddha, that's not going to work. Sorry, I'm the way. Muhammad, no, he, he ignored this part from me. And there's only Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other book. Joseph Smith, <laughs> no, not going to work. Uh, did you figure it out? You look it up? Yeah, it's uh, from some South American vine. Oh, it's from a vine, not from a frog? Might be thinking of different things. What what does it do to you? Does it tell you? Um, people react to ayahuasca differently. Some experience euphoria and a feeling of enlightenment, while others go through severe anxiety. And <laughs> 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 yeah. So make sure you have a guide. <laughs> Let's not do severe anxiety and panic. Got enough of that already. Anyway, my point was with this guy is he's like, oh, I got this enlightened vision and everybody is all part of the great oneness and we're all going on the same journey. And then you have Jesus and he says, what? I am, that's the name given to Moses, remember? The divine name. This is the last I am statement, by the way, in John's gospel. It's the pinnacle one, which I would suggest encompasses all the other I am ones. I am the shepherd, I am the door, I am the, the gate, I am the door. I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? Um, I can't remember the rest of them. Maybe you can. But here, this one gets it all. I am the way. Where are you going? I am the truth. Well, actually, life is where we're going. The way is through Jesus, and he's the truth. Right? And then this, this, this is the stuff that bugs the religious people of the world. Exclusive particle. No one. <laughs> No one comes to the Father except... And there's another one. Oh, there's two in one sentence. Except through me. That's it. All right? And you say, well then, oh. So when people say, well, pastor, you know, I've kind of, you know, I'm, 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 I've got it all together. I'm, I'm, you know, my life's going pretty well and blah, blah, blah. And I, I don't really need to be, you know, at church and hear Jesus' word. And you're like, actually, he says that you can't actually go the way he's going unless you stay with him. So just hanging out in your basement, um, that's somebody else, sorry. Um, that's not, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work because that's not, that's not the word he gives. And he's really, remember it started here with believe in God, believe also in me. So he started out that way. Listen to what I'm saying, attach yourself to that because that's the only way. It's the only truth, it's the only life. Sorry, I don't wanna go too long. Okay. They hate John's gospel. So if you wanna blow their mind, this is where you go. I'm serious. Um, they mistranslate John chapter one and they rely upon it saying that Jesus is a God, but they, they will not tolerate you going to any of these exclusive statements. So that, that's the key. Maybe write them in the back of your Bible. Anytime Jesus says no one except only by, you know, only by the word of God, something like that. Those statements will just drive them crazy. 
Oh, yes. Did I say anything else here? Oh, yeah. He's the true vine that bears good fruit. Um, but that was in John, but it's also, it's actually quoting Jeremiah, which we talked about, but we might as well go back and catch it here again. Which podcast? They were talking, they talked about Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Which Bible podcast? The, oh, the Naked Bible podcast, which has a provocative name, but isn't provocative at all. Yeah. Naked Bible podcast. It's really, if you're like, if you like the kind of things that I do, that's where I kind of get my inspiration. Not my content, but my inspiration. Where you just, it's like, like here's the freight train of the, what the Bible teaches. And you get bowled over every time. Uh, oh, I didn't go far enough. Sorry. Here it is, verse 20. For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree you bow down like a whore. Oops. That's kind of strong language, prophet. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Right? Now who's the choice vine of pure seed? Jesus, right? So there's all these other branches that you could be joined to, but why when God has given you the, way, the one? But again, it's very exclusive. There's all sorts of wild vines, but that's not the one you're supposed to be grafted onto. All right. Uh, and then we should probably go back to ch- chapter one. We haven't been there in a while of John's gospel. The prologue, as it's called, right? This is also the part that Jehovah's Witnesses mistranslate, which I mentioned before. Uh, in him, verse 4, in him, Jesus, or the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now think about how that would relate to him being the way. What do you mean to see the way if you live in darkness? Light. Light, that's correct. And if you're going to live in, the, in a valley of the shadow of death, if you like, in darkness... The only way to live is if you're led on the way to where life is. Got it? But you need light for that. So it's all, it's all bound up together. Uh, John is, you know, it's this wonderful, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Like a tapestry, you know, where all the threads woven together. And, you know, it's a little bit dangerous to try, try to unravel all the threads because then what do you end up with? No more tapestry, you know. But try to follow the threads throughout it, you know. Um, he's the exclusive way, truth, and life. We talked about that. And apart from him, there's only darkness. Now, we haven't looked at First John for a while, uh, but remember, I suggest it's the same guy that wrote the epistle, the same evangelist, the same apostle whom Jesus loved. Uh, that's the traditional view, but it isn't probably as popular today as it used to be. Uh, Jesus Christ, verse 3, and we, we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. Look at this. This is the message which we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, get it? The way? Uh, Early Christians did not call themselves Christians, by the way. They called themselves? The way. The way. Right. This is the way. (laughs) Some of you know it. Only my children know what I'm referring to there. Mandalorian? No, you're not Star Wars people? Okay. This is the way. Uh, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the 
truth. Wait a minute. I wonder if this guy had read the same gospel we did. Or maybe he wrote it. (laughs) If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Um, And you know the next part because it's in Divine Service 1 and 2, right? If we confess, or if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth, I'm the way, the truth, the life, right? Is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us. Uh, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right? And then we get this thing about the advocate, and I want to do this now because it's going to come up later. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. All right. What do you mean? What does he mean? He means not live in sin, right? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That word there, advocate, is the same word that Jesus uses in chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. Parakeet. No. <laughs> Paraclete. There's an L in there. The kids get it wrong all the time. It's just like the ten leopards, right? The ten leopards and the paracletes. Maybe they just like animals. I don't know. I don't know. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here in John's gospel, who's the paraclete? Jesus is, right. Um, but that's okay, right? Because who does the Spirit proceed from? From the Son and the Father, right? Okay. So he is the advocate of the Father, which we'll talk about. I don't know. Maybe not today, but some point. All right, so let's go back to our reading. Any questions so far? Yeah. So those I am statements are pretty powerful. I'm trying not to dwell too much on it. There's a lot more that could be said there, but for the sake of time. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Like, what? Seeing the Father, can you do that? Can you see God? Can anybody see God and live? Even Moses, what did God do? Stuck him in the, the cleft of the rock, right? And he only saw his backside. Well, then who was talking to Moses all the time and giving him tablets? Jesus. Yeah, called the angel the angel of the Lord. Yeah, no one sees the Father except except through the Son. So the Son, this word for advocate or paraclete, it it actually, which was used in 1 John, um, it's it's an in-between. So there's you, and there's the Father, all right? But you can't look upon the Father, especially as a sinner, because if you look on the Father with your sin, what's he going to do to you? Smite you. (laughs) Wrath. And smitten, right? So, so there's Jesus, right? And he stands between you and the Father so that when you look to Jesus, what is, who does the Father see when he sees you? Jesus. Yeah, he sees you. But here's the, here's the point. And then we're going to learn about this. Who stands here? Spirit. Spirit, right. So when the Spirit advocates for you, who does he advocate to? Jesus. To Jesus. Who is Jesus advocating to? Father, right? Because Jesus is at God's right hand. Now, the Eastern Church, by the way, has a little bit of a problem with this diagram. They would say that, no, the Spirit, they do it more like this. I don't even want to draw it. They say that Jesus advocates and the Spirit advocates. So they put Jesus and the Spirit side by side. But then you have to run into some problems here in John, where Jesus says, I'm going to send the the paraclete to you. Like, well, wait a minute. If if the paraclete doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't proceed from Jesus, then how does Jesus send him? 
Or he tells the Father to send them, I guess? I don't know. That's the Eastern Church, Orthodox. Uh, Basically what happened, this was (laughs) a thousand years ago, uh, but some grudges don't die easily. Uh, The Eastern and the Western Church split in 1058. And it was largely a political thing. The Patriarch of Rome and the Patriarch of Constantinople just didn't want to work together anymore. Uh, and so they split. And they, but they used this as the excuse. <laughs> we just can't agree on the, on the procession of the Spirit and who he proceeds from. Sometimes called the uh, filioque con- controversy, which is Latin for uh, from the sun. Anyway. Uh, what did I want to talk about there? Oh, yes. The Holy Spirit. So if you want to see the Father, how do you see the Father? Through Jesus, right? By the Spirit who gives you faith not to trust in his word. It delivers his word to you. So Jesus connects their knowledge, your knowledge too, of the Father, not only to the future, but above all to the faith which they've received in their earthly walk. Because remember, Jesus is the word and the Spirit delivers the word to you. And with the word comes Faith. Faith, correct. Thank you. Uh, in knowing Jesus lies the certainty of the church. Right? You can't know for certain anything unless you listen to Jesus. They will not be reduced to their own resources or forced to find their own way. Living on the way to the future is living in faith, knowledge of, of the God whom Jesus has revealed to them as his Father. Right? That's the way is to listen to Jesus and stay with Jesus. I already said that, though, before, right? Okay. Repetition's good, though. How are we doing on time? Well, we only have a few minutes. But we should actually hear what uh, Philip says. And we'll have plenty of things to talk about next time, apparently. You got me on politics, didn't you? That was your fault. <laughs> Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Compare that to Thomas, right? We don't know the way and we don't know where you're going. And then Philip comes and says, show us the Father and it is enough. And in Latin, satis est, if you like Latin. Right? Satis est. Show us the Father. Satisfactory. And that's enough. And that's Jesus' job always. To reveal the Father to us as the God who loves us, who has mercy on us, who's gracious, who's kind, who sets aside his wrath his anger over our sin for the sake of his son's suffering and death for us. That's what Philip wants to see. Huh. And then uh, Philip is like, well, wait a minute. Or Jesus says to Philip, wait a minute, you've been with me since the beginning. <laughs> so long, since chapter one of the gospel, you've been with me and, and yet you, you still don't know who I am. I've been showing you the Father this whole time. <laughs> right? How does Jesus show the Father to us? That's what we'll have to probably dig into next time. It's through the word and through the works. To, to jump ahead a little bit, but you get the idea. I thought we'd get farther. That's okay. That's okay. Well, that's, that's true. We did, we did actually, uh, we had to go back to last week a little bit. All this other stuff, we really do need to take the time to talk about it. And then we'll, we'll jump more into the parakeet next week. I don't think you should translate it, by the way. Um, that's one of the things I'm going to suggest to you, is to leave it as paraclete, as like a technical term, instead of trying to find a translation for it. And we'll go over that next time. But 
Um, you know, think about like, what are some technical terms? Justification, righteousness. Sin is really a technical term, right? Ask anybody else what a sin is and they don't have any clue, they have no way of defining it. You know how to define it. It's going against God's word, right? But that's exclusive to, to the church. So we'll just leave it paraclete and then uh, we'll work through how to define it as we read God's word. Fair enough? All right, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing, um, actually revealing yourself to us through your son Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Uh, We ask that you would uh, still our hearts, give us comfort and calm in the midst of chaos and and distress around us, that you would uh, be with us um, as we try to live according to your word and to stay on the way by your light, even in a a world that at times seems to be really um, darkness, chaos, and disorder. Um, Comfort us and strengthen us for this walk all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.